Hey y'all, this is Culture Soup, where tech, culture, and business collide. It's a podcast that spoons up everything hot from social media. I'm your host, L. Michelle Smith, and each episode, we bring you some of the most notable and not yet notable thought leaders in tech, business, and culture. The date, January 2020, in the words of friends, it's probably the longest year on record. Look, we're only a few days into February and we're all feeling some kind of way. I just jumped in the car, left my office and came to my home studio to rack this show. You see, originally the plan was to do a throwback Thursday because I have some really great guests lined up for the next few weeks. I was going to use this week to skate a little bit and focus on the business as well as getting some things done for my certification and doing some writing on the book. On my way home, I heard the news. The Senate voted not to remove the 45th president of the United States. Um, We saw this coming, but I have to say, with impeachment hearings happening just a few days ago, the debacle in Iowa with the caucus, we still don't have a final, final, definitive result from that caucus. And then last night's State of the Union address, and I say that loosely. We've been through a lot, and when this happens, sometimes you just need to call a friend. And that's exactly what I did. I called my friend Matt Stevens. I've known him for 14 years. You'll recall him from an earlier episode. He's a political pundit, and he's a YouTuber but sometimes you just have to pick up the phone. That's exactly what I did. And you can hear that phone conversation, uninterrupted, uncut, not even produced. We even forego the culture soup moment just to get down to business, just raw. Right now on today's episode of the Culture Soup Podcast, because politics is culture, and also because it's a business, and so much of it is amplified by technology. Without further ado, my friend, Matt Stevens, political pundit, YouTuber, and you know him as Mr. Prune Juice. Matt? Yes. You've got a lot to chew on these days. Oh my God. Yes. What is going on? What isn't going on? We got Iowa. Uh, We get that hit earlier this week. Obviously we had the Iowa caucuses on Monday, the 3rd of February. Uh, We have an ongoing saga that we've had since last September of impeachment. 
in the House that uh, cleared the House in December, and now we're over to the trial, or excuse me, air quotes trial in the Senate uh, that looks like the president is going to skate by with some very bad behavior. And we've just got just a general sense of uneasiness, particularly with Democrats, because of uh, we've got the the slow counting in Iowa from the from the caucuses and yeah, you know, and just, you know what? And in the midst of that, we had that State of the Union address. Yes, State of the that. Union. Um, yeah, so I'm just feeling like everybody in the great United States of America is doing some really deep therapy right now. Exactly, because what's up is down, and what's down is up, and what used to make sense makes no sense now. That is the state of our politics just this week. You know, we we can just talk about this week. It's crazy. So. It's crazy. And I would say in the midst of it all, the Lord took Kobe and his dear oh, daughter man. and seven other people. And I just think that all of that has impacted everyone. Would you yeah. yeah, I I definitely, that the whole Kobe Bryant thing, my heart goes out to his family, to all the families affected by that tragedy. You know, it it definitely put a mark on 2020 already we hadn't even crossed into february yet and i just i definitely feel you know just feel terrible about that but yeah, yeah it's also reflected in our politics too you know the you know just yeah um mercury and a few other planets are in retrograde of the going on right mm, um, wow yeah you know, that's not so good. <laughs> i brought you on i was going to have a throwback thursday i told you this earlier and okay i was just going to skate into thursday and we're going to throw it back to something really great and i was like you know what too much is going on no 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 i need to call my friend matt and let's just if we can't get a therapist in here we're going to have our own therapy. <laughs> that? that'll work that'll work I, I don't know if i'm probably as good as a therapist but i can help people explain or help explain to uh, two people the issues that are going on in politics at least a little bit better than what they are, uh, how they may be feeling about it, we'll say that. Yeah, so, we can just yeah. talk it out, right? Yeah, we can. Talk we it can. Out. Talking it out is always <laughs> good. That's what the therapist will usually tell you to do, is talk it yeah, out. Yeah, so. talk it out. Yep. So mm-hmm. let's, let's start with Iowa. You know, I am mm. an adjunct professor of strategic communication, and each class, I go in, and we start with a question of the day. Okay. And right on the heels of the biggest game in football, right? we kicked off the biggest political season, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we did. Of, of, of elections. And Iowa is the kickoff to all of this. But, you know, I tell my students all the time that even when you create a message, you have to figure out the environment in which you are propelling that message. So right. Iowa isn't just happening in a vacuum. <laughs> you think true. we should probably yeah. say that first. That's right. Now, mm-hmm. That's really important because it wasn't just that Iowa was happening. It's that Iowa happened and it kept happening. Overnight, it wasn't finished. During the day, it wasn't finished. Right. And, and Iowa is a small state. It yeah. is you know, it is a state that has historically gone first in the um, in the nominating contest as far as uh, their caucus, the way that they actually elect, um, or not elect, but the way that they choose who they want their Democratic nominee, the caucus style. Right. Um, ele- uh, you know, electoral process is very unique to that state. 
Um, this is something that they knew was coming. The day that everybody rushed out of Iowa in 2016 um, should have been the first day that they knew that 2020 was coming up. Well, so the, you, you would think. You would think. You would think. I mean, you know, but well, like I said, what's up is down and what's down is up now. Uh, but it doesn't seem like you said, like they, be, they can't get it together. If, you know, if anybody has been living under a rock, they, they would miss the fact that uh, the election, the, I'm sorry, the, the Iowa caucuses were on Monday. But, I mean, as of the recording of this, nearly two days later, we, we don't have a clear winner in Iowa. Um, at my last check, as of Wednesday morning, we only had 72% of precincts reporting. You know, that usually you have most of your precincts, we're up to 99% within, say, maybe three or four hours of the close of of polls in most states. Yeah, and you know what? This is is what I always follow my question with to my students. Why is this significant? Mm -hmm. And we can't afford to have a caucus or anything go wrong in the face of an impeachment, which is like core, the core topic is tampering of elections. Yes. (laughs) And then the run-up to that, before we even knew anything about the whistleblower, we were uncovering how the Russians had interfered. Right. From 2016. Yeah. Yeah. More important now more than ever to get it right. It is more important than now, now than ever to get it right. But you also have to understand is that us or Democrats not getting it right is also a function of suppression efforts by powers that be, particularly on the Republican and conservative circles, to make sure that we don't get it right. You know, so it's not as though we were probably operating with a a full deck or a full toolbox of of resources where we could say, well, we were completely armed, we were completely pe- com- prepared to get it right. What I'm saying is that there are there, there should have been laws in place, there should have been processes in place, there should have been different structures in place to make sure to ensure the integrity of our elections, to ensure at a state level that why are they even caucusing in Iowa anyway? You know, well, why are they not using, yeah. why do they not have, in, in some instances, uh, paper backups, you know, to these, yeah. to these ballots? And so it's not just, well, they on February 3rd didn't get it right. It, that was a symptom of a larger problem of not getting it right legislatively, which ensures that we get it right on the day of the caucus, if that makes sense. Well, and even giving it more context, this isn't the first time this happened in Iowa. What, yes. 2012, Mitt Romney yes. and some mm-hmm. of the others on the Republican yes. side had the same mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. Probably not with an app, but right. they had something that malfunctioned and it didn't work. Yes. And so it, it, that, it, that begs the bigger question of if they knew that this was a new system, then why was it legislatively, legally not insured? and tested often enough, I'm sure it was tested, but obviously not to, you know, to standards that would be able to deliver results within three to four hours of the polls closing, you know. Well, apparently they didn't think of different variables, you know, because I I understand that it was a, it was a combination of errors, human, you know, 
mm-hmm. algorithms, all of it. Right. <laughs> Just a right. perfect storm. And then on top of that, the phone mm-hmm. line jammed up when they tried to phone them in. Yeah. So it was just a hot mess, right? Exactly, exactly. That's a perfect description of what happened on Monday was a a hot mess. Right, a hot, hot mess. But it also begs the question, why are we still looking at Iowa, whether it's a caucus or an election? Exactly. Wow, you know what, that that just stares us in the face. 2043, I think it is. It's mm-hmm. about the browning of America. And yep. by the way, um, you, you Gen Zers out there, you Centennials, uh, my daughter was born in 2012. She, she brings up the rear. Mm-hmm. 50% of the babies born then were babies of color. Right. And that's before you get into all the other intersectional <laughs> segments, exactly. right? And Iowa has probably a 4% black population when the country has about a 13%. Is this why we're still caucusing in Iowa? I guess so, because I'm not. I'm trying to figure out, like you said, why is Iowa still important? Yeah. Uh, why, or not why, why is it still important, but why does it go first? Why do Iowa right. and New Hampshire go first when neither of those states reflect the majority minority? I wouldn't say uptake uh, reality that we live in now. You right. Know? Um, I, I really don't know. I think it's more so a function of history. That's the way that it's always been done. Yeah. Iowa has coveted that attention that they receive anywhere. I mean, we probably go back to 2018 when they started filling in the Iowa and seeing, you know, people as they started announcing, they started going there. And, you know, in, the, in those caucuses, for people that don't live in Iowa, uh, those caucuses are, because they caucus, that's a, a big opportunity for candidates to go in and sit in gymnasiums and to right. sit in community centers and even sometimes in people's homes and talk to, um, to talk to, you know, different voters, the, the candidates can talk to voters and vice versa. They can ask questions. They can really get to know them and, and shake their hands. I mean, how often are you going to be able to, cause that's something that Barack Obama did with, uh, with Michelle Obama when he was running in 2007, 2008, it, they were in people's homes. Yeah. And so how many people get that opportunity to say, hey, you know, Barack Obama was in my house and Michelle Obama was there, too, or Pete Buttigieg or Elizabeth Warren or, you know, Joe Biden showed up at my job and, you know, he talked to us. That's a a privilege almost uh, when you think about it politically, because I mean, once these people win or lose the White House or go back to their regular jobs or whatever happens, you're not going to be able to go up to them like that or to, to speak with them about your particular issues or the issues affecting your city or town or farming community in Iowa. You're not going to be able to do that or anywhere else in the country for that matter. So, well, and that's beautiful. And It, it is. That's, that's like a great it, thing. Yeah, 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 it sounds like it's, it's rooted in a longstanding tradition of our yes. country. But I think one of the things that bothers people is if we're going to stick with tradition, that means we should probably stick with what the founders intended across the board, which brings me to this whole impeachment thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you and I had this whole conversation about language mm-hmm. and how people are using it and who's using what language and This gets to my Stratcom background, and you have it too. But I watch how people use terms to sway opinions. And what I find to be very interesting is 
I watch who uses the word acquittal. Okay. When it comes to the Senate hearing wrapping and this vote that people believe is inevitable, which unless there is some act of God and some Republican senators find Jesus, Buddha, somebody right. <laughs> and come around yeah. to There's somebody who's a common sense, true. but yeah, yeah. Right. Well, we all know mm-hmm. to be true. Um, we're being pretty selective about what we're saying. So you've got one side calling in an acquittal. Let's right. talk about that word before we talk about the other word, which is actually he just won't be removed, right? Right. Why are people using the word acquittal? And it is, is it the same meaning in the same context to which we're used to hearing the word acquittal? Like in right. a courtroom where somebody, you know, was caught with some marijuana. Exactly. In a criminal trial. In a court of law, yes. he was acquitted because they found out it was planted. Right. Okay. So just for my clarity, I'm going to just to clarify that you mean that the Republicans are using the word acquittal to describe. Yes. More than anyone. More than anyone to describe what, what will be the outcome of the Senate vote that's coming later this week. Okay. Right. So to set that up, the reason that they're using it, you say language is important, and it very much so is, is because the reason that they're using it, that word in particular, is because they want to paint a picture that this is a witch hunt against a president who doesn't deserve it. And so the more dramatics we can add to that, the better for fundraising, for activating their base, for Making a, you have to have a good guy and you have to have a bad guy. Or in Trump's case, you have to have a not so bad guy and you have to have a bad guy, the Democrats. And so that, that word acquittal is so strong because that's used in criminal cases. And so what that says is if Donald Trump in their, in their languaging is acquitted of this particular act, although the impeachment articles that they have, uh, uh, that brought against him are not criminal charges. Um, if they use the word acquittal, it has a, a heavier meaning. It, and it and if he's like, acquitted, it shows that, oh, my God, he really is not as bad of a person as they say. It, it says something without saying something. Well, that makes sense. and someone will take the leap and say he's innocent. Right. Yeah, he's an innocent. Yeah, so if I say acquitted, that means that he did not do whatever the two articles of of abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, which well, is and there's so much nuance because while yeah. we're saying what he did was not a crime per mm-hmm. se, the right. articles of impeachment, if I understand it correctly, called them high crimes and misdemeanors. High crimes and misdemeanors, although you can be impeached for uh, for things that are not necessarily crimes. Yes. Okay, so let's talk mm-hmm. about culture here for a second. Because you, and, and I just want to add, add a fine point on that. You can be impeached because you uh, you took an oath to the Constitution. So right. when you when you're impeached, you went against your oath in the Constitution. So let's so be for, clear: what Clinton did was not a crime. What what he did, what we know in pop culture that he did, as far as having sexual relations in the White House, was not a crime. It became a crime with Clinton when he lied. Uh, under oath, and yes. so that was that was the 
the crime when he um, when he perjured himself, I believe. Right. Time, so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for clarifying yeah. that. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> if you understand what we understand about the core of mm-hmm. the Trump base, and I'm not okay. even talking about Republicans on the whole. I'm talking about that core that shows up at that rally. Right. And wears that red hat and mm-hmm. so forth and yeah. so on. These nuances aren't important or they may not even be understood. They may not even care. To what extent does this play to the base to oversimplify so that they jump to those conclusions? Um, well, I think everything, uh, not everything, I think a lot of what the messaging we see about Trump is oversimplified. Um, take the Mueller report, for instance. Um, the fact that the president and his uh, surrogates went on TV right after that report was released in April and they, or in March, and they said, uh, the president was found to be uh, to have not participated in collusion. There was no collusion, no obstruction found in the Mueller report. Well, uh, they oversimplified that by saying that particular point. But if you read mm-hmm. the Mueller report, you would see that Robert Mueller specifically explained not too many pages into the report that collusion is not even something that they looked at. Yeah. Um, the simplification is something that is, I think all politicians in some way simplify issues and current events that they want their audience to know about. So the simplification is not really the issue that I see, but the fact is, is that I think you hit on it when you asked the question was that his, a lot of members of his base don't care. Yeah. You know, you know, you have those who are uh, highly educated yeah, and they, very well to do mm-hmm. that more often than not are just turning their heads. Okay? They're, ter- they're turning their heads and you have, you have, for instance, educated white women who say, oh, I don't believe a woman should be president or, oh, well, he did that, you know, with the whole thing with the Access Hollywood tape, uh, right. you know, that, that's how guys talk. Right. Or, but what does that have to do with the economy? Right? Right. Yeah. So you've got that group that will turn mm-hmm. their head. Some of them will turn their head and hold their nose, but they're turning yeah. their head. And then you have another group that's like, they're in it to win it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're the ones that, you know, I, I just believe that he speaks to because he knows that they're not going to look into it. No. Which brings me to the State of the Union. Yeah. <laughs> the State of the Union. Wow. Um, that which was I a- didn't watch. Let the record show. Yeah, and that's, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I know more than a few people that didn't watch mm-hmm. it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's all about the theatrics. It's all about, like you said, knowing that your base or knowing that parts of your base are not going to dig deeper. They're not going to challenge you and hold you to account. And that's what we saw last night. That's why, you know, you didn't mention impeachment. That's why um, the moment with Nancy Pelosi, not just with her ripping up the speech, um, but also with um, with him with her extending her hand to him when the uh, when the yeah. state of the union started and he turned away from her didn't and left her hanging you know yeah yeah it's it, it it's all about the stage moments 
with yeah. him. It's all about the, the reality show of this presidency and how he feels, like you said, what he feels plays to his base is really important. That's what we saw in the State of the Union. we got to pivot. We, the conservatives, well, they, the conservatives, have to pivot away from the obvious dumpster fire that is impeachment because they have to, you know, create moments in the State of the Union. They've got to get that narrative going. So now the narrative is, okay, mind you, we're in the same week as uh, – Wrapping up this Senate, and I use a, a, a really light air quote trial, if that's what you want to call it. Um, you're in the same week as that, and some of the headlines have been about Nancy Pelosi ripping up her copy of his speech at the end of the State of the Union. And should she oh, yes. be censured for ripping up a copy? Mind yes. you, she's standing over the left shoulder of a criminal. Well, um, and this is, isn't, this, isn't this what we saw in the impeachment hearing where – the Republicans were calling out process mm-hmm. and decorum, yeah. <laughs> and you know, you know how people did things. Not, not, not the crime itself, or exactly. You know, technically, it wasn't a crime, but the wrongdoing. Yeah, it's it's the same thing. It is. I I know in my mind what we or what someone on my political side did wrong. So I've got to pivot and talk about something that you did that has nothing to do with what the issue at hand is. Right. And yeah, you then call it device. And, then, and, and say it over and over and over again, and going back to your point about simplification, saying it in very simple terms, that way these you know, headline news and MSNBC or whoever, Fox can pick it up, and you have those Little talking right, sound bites. Those sound bites, they go, they get in into that like fake news. They get into that American lexicon, and you can't get them out. And that's well, exactly know, the thing about coming for Nancy Pelosi for mm-hmm. ripping up the speech right. after <laughs> it was like riddled with lies. Yeah, um, and that's what she said. She ripped it up. They asked her, and she said, "Well, you know." He, he tore into the he, he tore up the truth, so I tore up the speech. So. Yeah, <laughs> how does this harken back to? You know, we're used to it. This is cultural too. We're used to it as a people. Whenever we raise issues of racism mm. or discrimination, yeah. or you know, someone protests because of people's human rights being, you know, <laughs> taken or. Yeah. not considered or a life has been taken, that yeah. the very act of that protest or raising the issue is itself divisive, not the act. Right. Yeah, that's, that's definitely something that has been a part of their playbook. The impeachment, uh, particularly the, the House side of it, uh, was a wonderful example of that. Um, we talk about you know, the, they attack the process of doing things, mm-hmm. uh, the process of them going after the president. And mind you, that's languaging, too, because that's not going after the president. That's doing a constitutionally um, a constitutional duty that, 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 that's, you know, carrying out a constitutional duty. That is an inherent power of the House. Uh, but you saw that and like in the face of all that stuff. You have Devin Nunes. You have one of the example. You have Devin Nunes. You have one of the uh, people on the House committees on the Republican side who was in cahoots 
with people that were connected to Ukraine yeah. while they're investigating a president who is speaking with Ukraine about affecting the outcome of one of his political rivals, yeah. which is not a legal thing to do. Like, and it, what's crazy yeah. is we don't even have a final vote, which everyone pretty much knows how this is going to go. Exactly. Because we, However, didn't, we didn't Giuliani, really have a final trial. So, right. so yeah, no witnesses. Giuliani so. is out there talking about, yeah, I'm going to be out there looking into the Biden some more. And when they asked him on CNN, you know, did the president tell you to do this? He said, well, he didn't tell me not to. Mm. Yeah, and he knows that if Is any there federal... there's something about the process there that we should point out? <laughs> um, I think the part of the process that we should point out is that this is what walking privilege looks like. Yeah. This is what privilege at the highest levels of government, of life, of culture looks like. These are people that operate with impunity because they know, specifically in Giuliani's case, that if he gets federal charges and at any point uh, in the next couple of years and Trump is still president, he can be pardoned. Yeah. And so that's what that's how you get a Giuliani that can go on CNN or, or Fox or wherever and say, uh, say those things because he knows that I don't have to tell the truth. Because the president, my boss doesn't tell the truth. And if I do get caught up in something, he'll get me out of it. So, you know, and... The precedent of all of this is humongous. There's yes. so many implications. Like, yes. how can we be sure that our next election will not be tampered with when we know without a shadow of a doubt it was the first time? Yeah. It and is... And this one is being tampered with. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that's, you know, not a, that's not a, 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 you know, a kind of guessing situation. We, we know that it is. But continue. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's, it's okay. I mean, this, I believe, is what, one of the reasons why so many people are feeling like we've already been through the year 2020, and it's just January and a few days into February. Yeah. Um, the faith in the very credibility of a system that has worked thus far mm. doesn't seem to be working for the people. No. And there's no plan of action. There's no recourse that we can take. I would say there's no recourse that we can take. There are, there are, there is a recourse we can take, but it doesn't feel like there's a recourse that we can take in order to fix it. There's no plan of action. Nobody that's benefiting from any of this. None of the Republicans that are so scared of Donald Trump, Donald Trump himself, and no one in his administration is going to make sure that we have election security because they know that if they do that, he would not be in office. And if he's not in office, there are a slew of criminal charges, real criminal charges, possibly waiting, awaiting him when he gets out of office. And so you're This is why him. he's threatening the guy that wrote the book. The, the witness, John Bolton. Yes, the mm -hmm. witness that folks want to hear from. Yeah, because he knows a lot, and if that stuff comes out, there's possibly U.S. attorneys, or there's a New York state attorney, or um, you know, different people that are waiting to legally approach and handle his 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 misdeed. So they, and you know, you know, 
that is the one thing that I've seen over the course of this administration that has really renewed and, and given me some assurance in our country. The attorneys, mm, yes, <laughs> the attorneys, like I have been so proud of how they have been like, well, we will go to war in the courts. And mm. they did that during the whole, you know, immigration debacle when they're holding the families yeah. and the children. Um, they've mm-hmm. done it a few times when the travel bans have happened. Yes. They have gone mm-hmm. to court and showed out. And you know what? If that's what it takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know specifically um, there was some action, I want to say, about, I think it was a travel ban, and and, and I don't want to misspeak about this, but mm-hmm. I, I want to say it was a travel ban, and it was the Washington State Attorney General, if I'm not mistaken, who um, got a, a good ruling against the Trump administration. Uh, for what they were trying to do there. I know Letitia James, who is the attorney general of the state of New York, has been really going after those tax returns mm-hmm. um, because obviously Trump operated and lived in the state of New York prior to, uh, to um, I wouldn't say winning. I, I'm looking for another word. He didn't win uh, <laughs> to occupying the White House. And he is not the Because language matters. <laughs> we talked about that a minute ago. Well, so. you know what? I heard a soundbite from last night where he was like, this will never, ever, ever happen again. And I'm thinking, how long do you plan to be in an office? Like, anyway. Yeah, he was talking about the economy, yeah, when he said the the, the bottoming out of jobs will never, ever happen again or something like that. Yeah, Mm, yeah, of course, because he plans to be in there at least through 2025. Yeah. And, you know, he's breaking these rules. What other rules might he break? But before we go down that rabbit hole, um, what does this do to the institution of the presidency? What has it already done to the institution of the presidency? Um, Cheapened it is being nice. I think it has fundamentally altered uh, the shape and the reach of the presidency. Just take, because I could go into a whole bunch of examples that I won't bore everybody with, but for one example is impeachment. You know, the fact that um, the Congress is a co-equal branch of government to the executive branch, um, and the fact that the, uh, the legislative branch, Congress, had called for witnesses, they have subpoenaed documents, testimony, et cetera, and they've received none of it from the White House, a co-equal branch of government, that is something that has fundamentally altered the presidency in this country. Because mm-hmm. now, moving forward, we have, now we have precedent. Yeah. And we have precedent that says that if a co-equal branch of government demands some type of action or paperwork or testimony from another co-equal branch of government, they don't, the one that doesn't want to provide the information doesn't have to do it. Because look at in 2019, you know, the Trump administration was, you know, called to testify and different people were called to the Hill to testify in his potential impeachment at that time because it hadn't gone through yet. They didn't want to do it. They didn't have to do it. There were no repercussions. Mm. So that's just one way. I mean, we can go all into the things that he said about women and different groups of people and the travel bans and the 
um, the locking kids up in cages at the border and, you know, what kind of precedents those actions set as well. Yeah. I'm sure people can guess that it's, it has, it's altered it. Um, I don't know if it will always be like this, like every president will be putting people in cages or every president will be grabbing the, you know, private parts of women or but it could, will be impeached, but it could. But be it something could else. Yeah, it could be something else that, that's different that we haven't heard of, and then that becomes the norm. Right. You know? You know, part of me, and this may sound crazy, y'all bear nope. with me, is as much as this needs to be stopped, <laughs> let me be clear. Most definitely. If he were removed, wouldn't Pence become president? Or will mm-hmm. it take something happening? You know, where the courts come after him and then find out other people's hands are dirty, too, including the other folks, including mm-hmm. Kent or whoever else. Who knows, right? Right. And they get all, you know, marched on to jail, whatever. Prison, I should say. Right. Uh, would there be a chance if he were removed that this stuff would still continue in some shape, form, or fashion because his people would still be in charge? Almost definitely, yeah. I don't think that the way that the framers set the Constitution, I don't think that they considered this level of criminality so many layers deep in one White House. Um, so whereas, um, like, you may have a president doing something wrong, I don't know if they expected the Secretary of State to be aiding and embedding him yeah. in what he's doing. Yeah. You know, or the vice president being in on it as well. Or the attorney um, general. Or, or the attorney general, yeah. Um, so to answer your question is if he was removed from office tomorrow, yes, Mike Pence would become president. And part of the reason is because when Mike when it when the when the legislators when Congress wanted Mike Pence to testify, um, he didn't want to do it. And so the negative information that could have come out about him didn't in so many respects because he didn't offer any testimony and several people that know him are connected to him, like Mike Pompeo, didn't offer any testimony, no documents, no evidence, nothing. You know, so, yeah. And, you know, he's just a better package. Huh. Like, exactly. he's smooth. Yeah. You know, he, he comes across as, yeah. okay, he's decent. You know, he know, he knows decorum, you know. Right. He was governor of Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But to me, he could be scarier. And you know what? I, I've heard a lot of people say that, but at this point, it's, I want to say, what do you have to lose? Because you have an entire country to lose, but. Yeah, that's true. And he wouldn't put on notice. That's for sure. Yeah. At this point, it's like. This is going to happen to you, right? Yeah. It, it's almost as if you're, by keeping Trump in office, it's almost as if excusing yourself for drinking antifreeze because you were thirsty. Right. It, and that's it, normal. It, it's normal. I've done that always. No matter that my skin is turning green and my eyes are bloodshot red and I'm gasping for air. It, it's liquid and I need it and we'll just have to put up with it until I can get to a water fountain. Like, you would never... To say that, you know, and the whole idea that Pence is worse, I, I would just have to see Pence be worse then, because at this point, I wouldn't allow 
Trump to continue to rob a bank because yeah, it comes you know, down to uh, the integrity of the larger yeah. government and the larger processes and and governing bodies that are in place. Mm. Yeah, it. That's what we're choosing between. Yeah, it's sad that we have Ooh. to get to that point. Oh, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. really, this is this is deep. But I can't excuse. Trump just because Pence might be bad too. I, I oh, no, can't. no, no, yeah, no, 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 yeah, no, no. Let it be known. <laughs> yeah, but you're no. right. Pence, I mean, and it makes sense though because I mean, if something had happened to Barack Obama, God forbid, and Joe Biden was to become president, no. they were they were pretty <laughs> much oh, right. I, I'm, I'm talking about 2014, 2012, yes, yes. Joe Biden. You know, if something were to happen to Barack Obama and Joe Biden were to become president at that time, they were pretty, eh, not exact, you know, but identical. They were in lockstep. You know, they were in lockstep. You know, yeah. so it, whether or not you agree with their policies, usually a president picks a vice president that is somewhat at least in lockstep. Reagan was, I mean, Bush was, Bush one was in lockstep with uh, Reagan. Gore was in lockstep with Clinton. I think maybe, like, if you go back to, like, Kennedy and Johnson, they were a little bit more different. Um, they were actually a lot different uh, once Kennedy was killed. Why do they then, feel like every last one of them were, like, real presidents? Like, every last one that you just named. Yes. Real. Even George Bush, George W. Oh, now? Okay. Yes. You probably heard the episode where Torrey had a heart attack. When I said that I voted for W and one of the elections here, look, this is the thing. So much of what we know now, we didn't even know then. And yeah. this was before weapons of mass uh, destruction and right. and all of that. And this was before 9-11, like all of that. But even with all of that. So you're, you were voting for George W. Bush uh, because you live in Texas, so I'm well, assuming part it's the of state it, yeah. level. Okay, okay yeah, yeah. Somebody in New York and it's like, okay, well, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. just for clarity so people know. <laughs> we had a real ha-ha moment. But the, the fact is, and I said this at the end, tell me right now, who would not take that man back? Right. If they could trade. Even Stephen took for the last few months we got <laughs> Right. W, come on back. Okay. And and it just goes. Just give him six months. Just, just yeah. Him. Yeah, he had his problems. No, he wasn't the brightest. No, you know all of that. Right. But we would not be doing this. Yeah. That is so sad to think about. Yeah. Yeah, he, and, and he, he makes Mitt Romney look. He makes Mitt Romney look like George Washington. <laughs> 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 George W. Bush was like Abraham Lincoln. Like, I know. just come on, you know. But I don't know. But this is, I, and I, you know, I want to kind of put a, you know, put all these threads together and saying that that's why voting is so important. Now, yes, election security is is important as well because we see that what's going on in Iowa. We see what how votes are being suppressed in communities of color. But if we, as a people, as an electorate, remain Engage. We, you and I can sit here and go on for two more hours about what's going on, but I think it's when people are engaged and engaged and on top of their election processes, on top of their secretaries of state, on top of their federal officials to make sure that voting is 
uh, uniform standard across the board that it, we, we are participating in free and fair elections, that's how we make change. Because really, they're suppressing votes not because they think, oh, they don't have any value. No, people suppress things, people hide things. Of because value. they do have value. Because they do have value. And so let's look at in this entire conversation you and I have had. If we see people hiding witnesses, if we see people hiding testimony, that's valuable stuff. So that might be the stuff that we want to come out. And in the case of how do people that are listening to your podcast, how do they, what are the next steps? The next steps are to get engaged at the yeah. local level, at the state level. If you can at the federal level, if not, fine. Um, but you've got to get engaged. You've got to vote. You've got to show up. You've got to show them that your voice, your, the electorate's voice, is more powerful yes. than the things that they're doing. And I that's guess, really so. important. I get back to my students again when I raise that question about, you know, why it is significant that mm-hmm. Iowa didn't work. Yeah. And one of the students raised her hand, and she was speaking from her heart. She said, it means to me that whatever I do, if I vote, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. And here's yeah. the thing. Let's say they're suppressing, let's say they're rigging, let's say they're doing Mm -hmm. everything. The sheer mass volume of the people coming out and everybody doing what they're supposed to do, it actually starts to balance out that bad stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. But when you don't show up, the bad stuff has a better chance of... Has a better chance of, yeah, exactly. Um, and let's close with a word from the great uh, annals of Star Wars and the great prophet, okay. uh, J.J. Abrams. Okay. <laughs> My daughter and I went to see the, the last installment, the ninth one, in the, in okay. the film. And it was, it was her first Star Wars. It was a really big moment for us. And she was really digging it. But let me tell you a word that they said that I think applies today. And we'll open the doors of the church and we'll be adjourned. <laughs> okay. There was a moment when the resistance was feeling really defeated. And the leaders were saying, well, I, we can't win. They were going to outnumber us. We just can't do it. Right. And one of them turned to the other and said, that's the trick of the evil one. The evil one wants you to think you're alone. Almost mm. got it. Almost yeah. got it. And then they went on to say, what we have to do is get a few good leaders, just a couple, who will lead the charge. And if mm-hmm. we just go forward and do what we know is right, the people will come. I said, oh, that was church. And that's exactly okay. what happened. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it. <laughs> right. The people came from all across other galaxies, and they defeated can we open the doors of the church? Right. Can we get people, can we get anybody to come from another galaxy? <laughs> well, anyone come. If there one. If there will one. Will there be one? <laughs> if there one. And I'll strike up that Hammond before this is over. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the attitude we got to take. Yeah, you're right. I agree. Because they yeah. do want us to think we're alone. Exactly. Yep. Ooh, that's some church. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's <laughs> great prophet, J.J. Abrams. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, 
you have taken more than enough time. I really appreciate you. Not and, a problem. Um, sometimes you just got to call your friend and talk it out. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me uh, talk with you. I appreciate it. And all your listeners. I, remind everybody where to find you. Well, on social, they can find me, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, at Mr. Prune Juice. That's at M-R Prune Juice, all one word. Um, I'm doing YouTube videos now, so they can uh, subscribe oh, to my right. YouTube channel. Yeah, you can uh, follow political commentary every now and again on Twitter. And um, I also have my YouTube videos on IGTV. So if you follow me on Instagram, you see the same thing you see over on YouTube. So talking about politics, breaking stuff down so people can understand it in very simple terms. So. Fantastic. This was a wonderful conversation. It was rich. Yes. I hope everybody learned something. Matt, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And, and the force be with you. <laughs> thank you. And may the force be with you, too. <laughs> the and force with your is daughter. strong with this one, let me tell you. Yes. <laughs> All right. All right. The Culture Soup Podcast is a production of No Size Communication, LLC. The Culture Soup Podcast is a registered trademark of No Silos Communications, LLC.